over the last couple of days, I've been keeping some space between myself and um, my mother. Um, I cannot really share anything about my journey, the divorce, my faith, the stories of things that are happening. I can't share hardly anything without it being mocked, ridiculed, snubbed at, uh, made fun of. And this this is a woman who goes to women's Bible study and is wanting to tell her testimony about how great everybody thinks that she is and all of this. I'm I'm still learning so much as I see God is showing me how convinced in their own mind a person can be that they are a Christian and that they are right with God and yet they can live so contradictory to that. I was absolutely shocked this morning in my Bible study by a man who was declaring about a guy he works with who he kept trying to explain to him, man, you're not living your life according to what you know is true in the Bible. The very man that was pointing this out is the same man that I had met a week before with who declared to me that he had built an idol of unforgiveness in his heart and he knew it was there and he wanted out of his marriage. He, I mean, he was just going to stay, but he was dead. He has no hope. He's got some anger there. And this guy is sitting here declaring to me that he has a stubbornness of unforgiveness in his heart. And net, now he's pointing out in the meeting this morning a guy he works with who's not living according to the Word. And I thought, my goodness, the deception of our heart is so... It really is unbelievable how well Satan can hide our own violations from us. So I, I walked in. I have tried to avoid having a lot of conversation. I've been just staying busy with my parents and stuff, with my work, trying to stay away from them a little bit. I may have had 12 minutes today, and I managed to be offended twice uh, or allowed them to say something. I walked into a conversation where one of their friends was um, explaining that Saul in the Bible really actually knew the Lord and that this was him just being pruned. And I said, oh no, that's not what I see in the Bible at all. He didn't know the Lord just because he said, Lord, is that you? This guy did not know God. He was, he would have been considered one of the Pharisees who was a child of the devil. He was doing everything but. He was killing Christians. How could you say you know the Lord when you're given permission for Christians to be killed? That's not a pruning. That's a total transformation of a person's life. That's a, you were in the dark, now let's walk in the light. So God prunes those that bear fruit. He wasn't bearing fruit. His fruits were fruits of evil darkness. In fact, he even says that the Lord had mercy upon him. He acted in ignorance and unbelief. Well, you can't be a person who knows God if you are somebody who's living in unbelief. So anyhow, I just kind of had pointed this out so that there was a, a correct teaching. And now I can't even teach in my own house in, or in, in this house anymore because everything I say, I'm accused of being holier than thou or I'm a Mr. Know-it-all or what have you to the point where even my stepfather got up and walked out of the room frustrated saying, you guys are just arguing over a mute point. When in fact, I didn't think it was a mute point. I thought, and we weren't arguing. I was just presenting truth where I saw that there was somebody that was in error and I happened to know something about the scripture because I studied the Bible three and four hours a day about that the particular scripture she was talking about. So that leaves an offense. And then tonight, my mom comes into my room while I'm trying to avoid, in the middle of while I'm working, comes in and gets in my business and starts having a conversation. I politely listen. 
I come out for 45 seconds to get something to drink, and I start getting hit with a preach about my health and about how I don't eat enough vegetables and I'm so unhealthy and it's just always fear, worry, and anxiety about everything. I'm not enough of this. I do too much of this and it's constant ridicule, constant control, constant, you know, you know, I have too much faith. I don't live enough in the real world. I don't take care of my, I'm not eating well enough. I don't do this enough. I'm too black and white. It's always criticism and condemnation. Always. There is never hardly anything said to my face that's good. It's always condemning me, but when we're around another person, then then she'll lift me up. So when we're around the friends, she'll brag because really she's worried about how she looks and so how I might be causing her some fear. But to me, it's almost always condemnation and criticism and standing against my faith. Da 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 da. And this happened tonight. And I said, Mom, I'm the healthiest person in this family. You know, but she was putting all this fear-mongering because she had listened to some fear-based thing on television or whatever. And I said, I'm the healthiest person in this family. I'm doing just fine. I fear the Lord. God is taking care of my body. And I'm doing fine. And I eat relatively well. I really do. I mean, obviously my weight shows that. I'm in good shape, good fitness. There was a comment made about you know, well, it's just hard to tell anybody anything that already knows everything. So there's the, that spirit of kicking back. And, and what I'm, what I see is I am, and I'm recording this not to record an offense, but my whole life is about using my life and my examples to not only for me to learn and understand God's ways and the devil's ways, but to help other people that feel alone and these struggles that don't know where to go for answers, that are going through the same difficulties where they are a prophet without honor in their own home. They are disrespected, mistreated, or persecuted by those that should love them, but because they are blinded to the full truth, because they are a carnal Christian, not a spiritual Christian, and they're not judging their own sin, they continue to persecute you. And I'm recording that for this purpose. So immediately I recognized that this was a satanic attack. I mean, here I've been isolated all day. I've been having blessings and meeting with the guys and just wonderful things are happening. Um, amazing fruit. And as I have pressed in on the enemy and really talking to people about turning from their sin and obeying and the, the fact that you can go to hell, boy, I've seen him push back on me. And he uses the only thing he can. And he'll leverage any weak person around you, any disobedient, any carnal living Christian around you. He will use them. And I thought to myself, my goodness, I hadn't spent 45 seconds in that kitchen without there being a fence. And then, of course, if you ever stand against a person, if you try to correct or, or mock, you try to correct a mocker, that invites insult. So if you try to push back on somebody who's trying to assault you, they're going to turn around and try and slap you down. And so all I did was just walk out of the room. Um, unfortunately, I am only five and a half hours of sleep. So, of course, when does he like to attack me when I'm sleeping, when I'm tired and I can react back? So my reaction back was, it's always condemnation. It's I'm too much of this, I'm too much of that. When's the last time you said anything nice about me? That's all I said and walked out of the room. Um, I got in here and I said, well, I see the attack, Lord. So immediately I forgave and I went into worship. 
And this is how I'm fighting that battle, as I'm just getting, as Jensen Franklin calls it, a praise phrase in my mouth, and I just begin to worship. Though my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord will not. So, it is very difficult living with um, people that are that do this to you. You think and you would hope that you could trust your own family and that they have your best interests out, but yet they constantly take shots. And then as soon as you ever stand up against that, you're the guilty one. That's the way it has always worked. If somebody tries to cut you off at the kneecaps and you correct back or you push back or you share, you know, I'm just fine in that area, that person's always going to try and take another shot. And that's where this offense happens. That's where I had just been preaching to the guys. Guys, if you're walking in forgiveness, you will walk in freedom. And the number one attack that the enemy tries to bring is offense to get you back out of freedom. And so the offense may land, I may feel it, but I'm going to immediately give it back to the Lord. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And I'm going to recognize, here's the most important thing I'm saying in this in this entry. I recognize who my real enemy is, and it's not my parents. They are being used as puppets by my real enemy. They are pawns in his hand in a much larger game. The much larger game is the chess game that I'm pushing where I'm getting people to be convicted of their sin because of the Holy Spirit in me as I maintain purity and I maintain obedience before the Lord and remaining in His vine. That brings conviction to people everywhere I'm going. People are, are saying, Mike, I'm convicted. I want to change. I want to do this. This is great. I'm hearing this word. You're encouraging me. There's things happening. It's not me. It's the Spirit of Christ in me. So Satan is trying to do everything he can to interrupt the flow of the Holy Spirit through me. And the easiest way is to accuse me of something or to try to offend me. So I am, uh, and this is with anybody, not just me. I'm just meeting with anybody. So he uses those that will make themselves available and those that are closest to you, a man's enemies, will be the members of his own household. Jesus Christ is very clear about this. So, um, doesn't mean it doesn't hurt when it happens, but you give it right to him. And you just tell him, Father, this is how it makes me feel. I forgive the person, and God, I need your grace. And I'm totally dependent upon his grace. I mean, I just get on my knees, I get on my face, and I totally depend upon him and say, Lord, you saw how that makes me feel. I don't want to react. I'm sorry if I reacted and I apologize if I feel like I ever need to apologize to the Lord. And I just go right back. And I say, Daddy, I'm desperate for you to help me in this. I need you to help me in this. You know, you take care of it. And then something will happen. New mercies the next day. You know, a good devotional or, or, or what have you. But it's just, it is fascinating to me. And it's such a good reminder. The Lord continues to train me that I have got to be alert. One of the things I'm realizing is I need to be, I judge all things. This is the Jesus, Paul says that the spiritual man judges all things. Everything that somebody brings against me, every word, every word I speak, I just learned this from David Wilkerson. It's so important to judge all things. Where's that coming from? What's the spirit behind what that person just said to me? What is that? Where's that attitude coming from? What is it, how is that person, how could my engaging in that person right now? cause me trouble. And so I'm I'm needing to learn. I've been trying to avoid proximity wise, but that's not working out so well. I still need to know that there's going to be a war and it's, he's trying everything he can. I mean, think about it. If he can't offend my religion, well, let's hammer the diet. Let's hammer this. Let's hammer. I mean, anything to try and offend, to control and manipulate, to offend. So 
I am um, I'm learning more and more. And I just I worship God and I said, Father, thank you for using the enemy to teach me these things and to continue to mold me and shape me. And uh, so I know I'm growing from this. Every time he takes a shot, if by the Spirit's grace we rise above it, he just lost that battle and he wasted one of his ammunitions. But I do know that I have to be very careful because I'm pressing in on his territory. I don't need to be afraid of him, but I need to be very respectful and I need to be very clingy to the Father. I need to stay big time attached to the vine. I need to watch my P's and Q's because I'm pushing in on his territory and he don't like it. So I need to be real careful about my sleep. I need to be real careful about my eating habits. i gotta got to be very careful. It's very fascinating, this thing, living this Christian life and seeing the battle and seeing how the Father helps you and sustains you and, you know, what your part is and what His part is. It's mostly His part. Our part is really just to stay attached to Him and He does everything. I'm learning this more and more that my only striving is to maintain connection with Him. That is, I think that is the most important thing I'm learning. Even as I'm listening to other teachers, there can be so much confusion over how to live the Christian life and what you need to focus on and how you need to be strong. And is it me or is it him? Is, is you know, why do I need to strive? But yet he says, you know, he does all things and apart from him, we can't do anything. And it's really that our striving needs to be to remain in him. That is it. And as we remain in him and the way I, what I mean by that is I show up every morning to read His Word. I put Him first. I spend time to talk to Him in prayer, to listen to Him. I I maintain a position in His love just by telling Him how much I love Him and entering into that presence. Even if I don't feel anything, I tell Him how much I love Him, tell Him how much He means to me. My heart desires Him. I do everything I can to cultivate a desire for Him in my heart. So I stay away from things that would, you know, um, offend him um, and I I just I really just remind myself in faith of his love for me and I spend time in his word and I apply it I allow the Holy Spirit to speak and give me messages I um, I sing praises to him I proclaim his word back to him and I there was another thing I wanted to make sure I mentioned that I obey him you know, when when he tells me to the very best of my ability, I obey him. I think another reason why I'm weak right now is because I've been a little weak in obeying the urgency to memorize the teachings of Jesus Christ. I'm seeing more and more the need for doing it, and yet I'm having to balance that with keeping my ministry going and, and continuing to be a student. And uh, But I see that that's one area where I might be a little weak in that I need to um, continue to do. I have to put self-control in. And I have to rely on him through prayer. I do have to do my part because, you know, if he tells me grab the shovel and dig the ditch, I don't need to say, okay, well, you do it for me. No, I need to drag, grab the shovel and dig the ditch. So I'm learning a little bit of self-discipline today as an example. I'm trying to approve a little bit at a time today to memorize some scriptures. I memorized John 16, 33 and John 12, 24 through 25. Let me see if I can remember them. John 16, 33 says, I tell you these things, I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's John 16, 33. And then John 12, 24 through 25 says, I tell you the truth. If a kernel of wheat 
Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. If a man loves his life, he will lose it. But if a man loses his life for my sake, if, oh wait, but any man who, see I've, I've, I've missed the last part of it. If a man loves his life, he will lose it. But if a man loses his life, he will keep it for eternal life. There it is. I had to just think about it because I'm so tired. But I took those scriptures on my trail today and began to um, walk with them and memorize them while I was walking. I also met a really cool day. I've been meeting people all the time. God just connects me to more and more people. <clears throat> met a guy named David today. He had three kids. Um, one's name was Cole. Another one's name was Emma. And I forgot the, the other daughter's name, but... I think his name was David Chandler. Seemed like a neat guy. Got to share quickly a little bit about my story, but we ran into each other in the middle of the woods. Had a little God connection. It was a really cool thing. But um, I, I spent most of my time in prayer and then uh, memorizing the scriptures. So I'm trying to work on that as best I can. So anyhow, just trying to categorize as I learn how the enemy is continuing to attack me in these weak spots and um, so that I can fight against it and help others. I'm on the trail and I'm just out praying and I just wanted to record real quick that the idea came to me that um, a person with obsessive compulsive disorder, um, even if it's mild, a person that has a constant need for a sterile environment, I'm speaking specifically right now of my mother, but I know other people that are like this, there's millions of people that are like this, to some people... <clears throat> They may be able to pass it off as, hey, this is a good thing, I'm clean, I'm organized, I keep a real tight ship, and that looks great. It looks like somebody who's responsible and somebody who's diligent and obedient and looks like somebody who's just a good, you know, responsible steward, hard worker. But the reality is, is that that has control over the person. They think they're controlling it, but the reality is it has control over them. The need for it to be that way is what controls them. In other words, they think they're controlling their environment by keeping it clean, but the reality is the unclean environment, which is constantly going to be needed clean, is really controlling them. That person is not free. That is a bondage. Maybe it's not as dirty as, you know, say, um, a sexual addiction or a narcotics or alcohol or, you know, what have you, but that person is not free. That person is in a bondage. They are, there is something that is controlling them outside of the Spirit of Christ. I read today um, in the book, uh, Listen to Me, Satan, by Carlos Anaconda. He was talking about, now I cannot see expressly this in Scripture, but it could be implied. And I believe this is true. And I believe that Jesus alludes to it. He says, if a man doesn't give up everything, he cannot be my disciple. So that means if you hold back you know, say two out of ten things, you still are not free to be Jesus' disciple. So what, what I found interesting is he says that how is it that a person can be a follower of Jesus or somebody who believes in Jesus and yet you can still see that they're not spirit-filled. They're not being directed, empowered, and led primarily by the Spirit, but rather still by their flesh and their habits and their tendencies and, you know, bad habit patterns and all that. The answer... Is oh, the answer is, according to what he was saying in his book, is that the person still has 
several parts or a part of their life that they have yet to surrender to God. So they're holding back a part of their life, like, I want this. And as a result of that, the person cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit because the person will not, the Holy Spirit will not fill a disobedient soul. He will not overtake your will, is what he was explaining. He will not force his way in and take your will out of the way. So you have to knowingly let your will down. And as you do that, so say, for example, as you're holding on to unforgiveness, that's a part of you that looks to God and says, nope, I'm holding on to this, God. I'm not surrendering this to you. I'm holding on to this. This person owes me. And so the Holy Spirit will not not only fill you, but that places you in a position to where you now have a bullseye on your back for demons. I believe this is true that we see in the parable of the unmerciful talent. I'm sorry, <laughs> the parable of the unmerciful servant. So even if it's something that's like OCD or habit patterns, that person is not free. And I think Paul's words are giving me new encouragement to teach these things where he says that the spiritual man judges all things. It means you're discerning everything. Every teaching you hear, every action somebody takes, you're constantly judging things. Not harshly, but discerning. Is that from God or is that from another spirit? Is that person free? Is that what God would do? Is that what the Christ, Jesus Christ would teach? Is that what you know godliness would look like? And you're constantly judging all things. And so I'm started. That's what I'm doing. I find myself constantly making notes and observations and all that. And people, some people might go, man, you're so critical. So, you know, uh, self-righteous. No, because I primarily, <laughs> for the first three and a half years, it was all about, you know, my faults and my hang-ups and my habits and my struggles that I was judging all of them according to God's word. The spiritual man judges all things. So, anyhow, that's what I'm doing in... Uh, I just I want to be able to help people call the sin that's in their life sin. Just call it what it is. Be honest about it. It's sin. It's not an addiction. It's not a disease. It is not a disorder. It is sin. And I would say that that's the case 98 out of 100 times. There may be those few exceptions where somebody has a legitimate chemical or physical um, ailment that's contributing to that, but that is not the case for the way majority of the people. So I want to make sure that I include a teaching on this. In this name, God, thank you. I just got off my knees in the middle of the woods here, just begging God to deliver me and to finally bring the finances that I've been waiting for and waiting for, and for Him to have mercy upon me. And as I stood up, I realized how even a month or six weeks ago, I thought, surely I'm at the end of this. Surely any day now God is going to deliver me because I can't make it much longer. And this has happened multiple times because we're easily six months into me not being able to pay child support. And I continue to wait for God to deliver me. Today he showed me 11.22 and 11.01 back to back. He almost, it's not he almost, I can't believe I was getting ready to say God almost knew anything. Forgive me. But God knew, must have known, that I was going to come to a place later in the day where I'd be weak in my faith, needing this, because just as I entered the trail and began to enter and impress into prayer on this, God quickly reminded me of the 11.22 and the 11.01. And as I got off my knees, I found myself confessing to the Father that even though I'm begging for Him to deliver me and telling Him that my situation is dire, the next words that came out of my mouth was, 
But Father, I realize that it is my body and in my mind that feels that the situation is dire more so than my circumstances are actually validating that the situation is dire. And what I mean by that is my mind is telling me consequences are coming. Hurry up and get the the result, the, the, the deliverance. And yet my circumstances, there's really nothing that's different. There has been no penalty. There is nothing that I should be worried about or concerned about. You know, in other words, there has been no fall off the cliff yet. And again, God is proving that He is a God of the midnight hour. Um, you know, never late, but rarely early, always just on time. <clears throat> and I'm believing Him for it. But it, it does pain me, even though I do not have circumstances that warrant. Like, in other words, I haven't received anything from the court yet, saying, you're in trouble, you're getting ready to go to jail if you don't pay, you're six months behind on child support. I still have such a desire to pay my child support for my children and to bless my enemy. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have prayed for God to give me the money so that I can bless my enemy. I don't want her to do without money. She probably thinks that I am absolutely loving this and that, you know, this proves that I'm everything that she said I am and I'm a crook and a deserter and worse than a non-believer who doesn't take care of his family. And my heart breaks because I want to give her more than the required child support. That's what's in my heart. But God has put me in a place where I can't. I just can't do it. I had a guy again just the other day in my Bible study. He heard what I did in my past. And he goes, Mike, we need that. I got five guys in this company. We need to tell a story. We need your help. And I said, brother, I said, man, I said, I'll be happy to give you any input I can. But I used to do that. I don't still do that. And, and I'm not really allowed to do any of that kind of work anymore. So there again, another enticement. I mean, this is going to be spectacular. This is going to be either a spectacular wipeout if this was me and I didn't hear from God, which I do not believe whatsoever, not even close. Or this is going to be one of the most spectacular deliverance stories I probably will have. I don't know, I shouldn't say that either. <laughs> it's no doubt going to be awesome. It is going to be awesome when God finally delivers me. I am hoping and praying it soon. I'm thinking that that also may be one of the reasons why I've seen the spiritual oppression and the spiritual attack that's been coming in the last 24 hours. As I have pressed deep into enemy territory with the teachings in the Bible study and on the internet, I'm seeing Satan use those people that are in my inner circle that are making themselves avail to him. They're using him. He's using them to try and fire off missiles and get me in a fence. Even though... I clearly avoided conversation with these individuals, in particular one, and went way out of my way to stay clear and to keep a lot of distance and just be cordial and nice. In other words, making peace, trying to actually trying to keep the peace. That's the truth. That's the truth. Just trying to stay away and avoid conflict. This person found a way in to be able to, within a 45-second intervention, 45-second um coming across each other's path was able to fire off a missile right onto my ship and then I kind of delicately pushed back I didn't I, it was a little less than delicate a little more than not um, it, in other words it wasn't hurtful harsh but it was I, I did push back and um, 
so anyhow, I'm seeing, and then this morning as I've been so dependent upon the Father to help me in this, He's just graced me with these two awesome testimonials today about the teaching. Just awesome, awesome. And I'm expecting and believing for more. But one of the main points I want to remind myself in this recording of is how I'm still trying to figure out how do I articulate to people the difference between putting confidence in the flesh and striving to live by the Spirit. Because it would almost sound like if you're striving to live by the Spirit that you're using your own flesh and your own power and strength. And it could be that you're trying in your flesh to obey. In my opinion, what I would feel at this point is that if you're trying to follow righteous laws, God's laws and moral law, apart from having a relationship with Him, that's you putting confidence in the flesh. In other words, if you're just a rule follower, if you just got religion and behavior modification, but you don't know the Lord and you're not you know, in love with Him and walking with Him, that is a religious spirit that is attempting to find righteousness apart from having a relationship with God. And I think there is, only God knows how many millions of people that fall into that category are. But, I'm still striving. But I'm striving to, my striving, if I were to kind of try to define it is, my striving is to depend upon Him. That's what I strive for. I mean, I don't just go sit down and read the Bible and, and, you know, do Christian things or talk Christian stuff or read Christian books and not ever talk to Him. I go to those things for Him, to find Him. I'm, I'm, I go there, I go to those things with Him. So as an example, I am so in love with the Father that when I first sit down into my chair or when I come out to the woods, I always say, Father, I'm here. I'm here, Daddy. Speak to me, Lord. Speak to me, Father. Give me insight. Every good news that I have, I immediately go back to Him and say, God, thank you for this. Thank you for this. Every bad news I get, I immediately go to the Father and say, Lord, here's some bad news. I'm not going to walk in fear. You knew this happened. I trust you. Um, If I have weariness setting in, if I'm gone a long time without being able to um, you know, have a need met or, and I'm starting to feel weary and being stretched, I'll go to the Father and say, Lord, God, I need you, Father, to... I need you to refresh my spirit. That's weird how I just had an emotional reaction... <laughs> reaction to that because I stopped and looked up to Him in heaven. But I am totally 100% dependent upon God. My striving is to remain in Him. I strive to keep myself apart from the world and in Him. And and really, I don't even strive to keep myself apart from the world. That's going to be the truth. I strive to just stay in Him. And what I find is, as I rely on Him, as I pray about everything and pour out my heart about all of my concerns to Him, He moves in my circumstances and in my life and in my relationships to strengthen me and to hold me and to sustain me. So I heard a preacher the other night preaching on kind of this message about, you know, don't put any confidence in the flesh. And and believe it or not, it was one of my 
this kind of a new favorite preacher. His name's um, David Wilkerson. He passed away, but he is fiery. He is a truth teller, but he was explaining it in a way that I felt like left the audience not making it clear. I mean, I'm as a guy who's walking in this, I was able to say, man, I don't know that he's making this 100% clear for some folks. It could leave some theological room um, such that people are confused. And he was talking about, you know, don't put any confidence in the flesh and quit striving and all that. But see, the Bible says we are to strive. Jesus says strive to enter the narrow gate. But it's a striving that is riding on the back of Jesus Christ via the Holy Spirit on a horse named Grace. It's that, it's that, that's weird that I just came up with that, a horse named Grace. Sometimes the weirdest things just come out of my head, but the, the point is, is that we are to be totally dependent upon God. So, you know, again, I am not trying, I'm trying to think if there's anything. Okay, so like the last sin that I struggled with had not been a sin to me for many years. It's one of these things that as you go down the road farther and further, God begins to ask you to set things down that at one point didn't feel like sin to you. But as your road gets more and more narrow, He requires a greater level of purity. And it seems that as we ask Him for more, He requires more. To Him to whom much is given, much is required. That makes absolute perfect sense. So... Um, one example would be masturbation. I've never had what I would consider to be a problem with it. I don't look at pornography. I have not since, you know, the way early days, over 20 years ago, with my wife and I getting married, somebody had given us a tape and said, here, this will, you know, help spice things up. Not that we were having troubles. We were newlyweds, but I think we looked at it like two or three times. We really didn't know any better. We thought, hey, it's just between a married couple. That's fine, you know, and then Thank God, God has erased those images out of my head and I don't think about it, look about it, and I've never looked back and I've always been afraid to even touch that stuff um, or to mess around with it at all. Deadly afraid of it. And that, again, is by God's grace. So, I don't have anything in my life that I'm addicted to um, except for God. I am totally addicted to Him and to His Word and to telling other people about him and to get people to have a relationship with him and take him more seriously. That is my addiction. He is my obsession. And I don't think he's having any problem with that whatsoever. But masturbation was the last thing where God began to move me through a season and slowly I tried to kind of legalize my way through it and justify and say, well, God, I'm not thinking about my ex. I'm not thinking about any girlfriends. I'm, you know, and then he would still tell me no and then I go okay well I won't think about a, any person I know I'll just think about a made up person and then he kept telling me to set that down and then I said alright well I won't think of anybody God but when that physical urge comes up I gotta do something about it Lord I mean you made me this way physiologically my body is saying it needs a physical release and after all God the, the, the doctors say that it's really good for a man for his prostate and it can eliminate cancer and I started to just justify all of it and God again kept telling me Set it down, Michael. Set it down. Walk in purity. And I was like, oh boy, this is hard. And I think I, I set it down, and then, say, two weeks later, there'd be the temptation. And so I'd find myself justifying, going, oh man, I mean, did he really tell me to set this down? And, you know, isn't it okay? I mean, gosh, I'm not thinking about it. And I'd constantly try to justify again, just like I did 
with the premarital sex thing. And then God would show me the 222 again. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. He kept, that's one of the ways that God shows me about get rid of this or don't go back to something old. And so anyhow, I began to set it down. And then I think there was a couple more times where, you know, I'd go a couple of months and then stumble. Or, you know, one time I had gone a long time and I woke up in the middle of the night got up and I was like, well, I need to take care of this because I won't be able to go back to sleep and this is going to be, you know, crazy. And then, of course, I said, well, that's, I'm okay. It's in the middle of the night. It was just a physiological thing. God kept, kept saying, set it down. So I went through this period of, I would say it's, I don't know, maybe a, a four to six month period where I kind of, you know, was being weaned off of it. And would pick it up and then go, ah, it still doesn't feel right. And I'd try to justify it. And God just kept telling me, nope, set it down. So I, I finally set it down. And it's been over six months now. I never in, a, in my life thought that there would ever be a time where I could say I could go six months without doing that. And the most amazing thing is that in that six-month period, there has only been one time where I felt strong temptation. It was in the middle of the night and it was the day after I had planned to talk about this sexual scandal. I called it a sex scandal. It's not really a sex scandal, but this sin of mine um, with that one particular woman where Satan flipped me over like a turtle on my back for a time. And I was going to you know, tell all this and basically deconstruct a spiritual attack and temptation 101 type thing. So that night, I got attacked. And I, I, Satan full-on gave me a dream that was not full-on intercourse, but there was a, a woman who I'd never seen before in my life, and we were like, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, or whatever, and we were in that moment, and it was going to get close, and so I woke up, and I couldn't go back to sleep for two hours. And I kept just hearing... Just go take care of this. Just take care of it. It's just your body needs it, man. You go back to sleep, no big deal. Just go take care of this. And this is when I entered into a new level. I recognized right there that Satan was trying to knock me off of this horse and was trying to get me to be disobedient to God so that it would lessen my spiritual effectiveness when I preach the word to these men and tell them to turn from the darkness and the sin in their own life. He was tempting me at a weak moment trying to get me to, to, to violate my conscience and violate my God. Because there's consequences when you do. And so by God's grace, I just prayed and said, Father, I need your help. And I recognized that I needed to exercise self-control. Self-control does not come from the flesh. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> so I, in dependence upon Christ, I said, Lord Jesus, help me. Help me. You say that you'll always make a way out during the moment of temptation. Lord, help me. And then I just felt this spirit of boldness rise up in me. And I literally said, no. I said it several times, no. And then all of this inspiration came to me from Christ. And I realized, I said to myself, I said, I am in control of my body. My body is not in control of me. It was a, a revelatory moment. It was like the first time I think I've ever declared that and the first time I've ever really, really understood that. I literally said, no, I am in control of my body. My body is not in control of me. It is not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to tell it what to do. 
And I thought of the scripture of Paul saying he buffeted his body. You know, we are no longer ours. We were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body and yield our body as instruments of righteousness to God. Make them member, you know, slaves to righteousness. So all of this was going on. And then the final, you know, motivation for me was I'm saving myself for Laura. I've asked the Father in faith. I've asked the Father in faith to make me like a virgin again. Because I'm not happy with the fact that I had premarital sex before I got married and, and had, you know, promiscuous childhood sex. And I hate all that. Or that I've slipped even after I've married and had premarital sex with a girlfriend. I hate that. I hate it. I despise it. And so I have repented and I have asked God to give me um, my, my virginity back and to make me pure. And so I'm waiting for Laura and I'm storing up my sexual tension for her my body for her, my mind, my emotions. I'm saving all of this for her. And I'm fighting for it because it's worth fighting for. I'm holding on to it as a prize. I'm declaring it, uh, you know, no trespassing property. And the most amazing thing is that I just, it went away after about two hours of me laying there not sleeping. I didn't get up and have to do it. It went away. And God has been so unbelievably faithful to me and my flesh is not running around always hungry. It's rarely this way. I think one day out of six months, I got a lot of sun one day working outside and I could feel the next day, I was like, why do I feel so like charged up sexually? And I realized it was because I had been in the sun all day, which produces extra testosterone. So I felt a little bit of that chemical thing in my body, but it wasn't out of control. And I stayed in control of it. And I'm just, I'm blessing God because I'm seeing victory. I'm now fighting from a position of victory. I'm fighting from a position of freedom. Instead of being kind of underwater, constantly trying to get up to get a breath, I'm now on top in the boat and all I have to do is stay in it. It's a whole different kind of battle when you fight from freedom and from victory, rather for it. It's totally different. Totally different. It's like, you know, the idea that once you get momentum, it's very difficult to lose, but once you stop it, it's hard to get it going again. So I am just really thrilled and really blessed with God's faithfulness. God is so faithful to take care of us so we can yield any of our sins. We don't have to be shamed. We, we, we should feel a sense of, man, we're not supposed to be doing this. So you, you, if you've continued to do something, you should feel a sense of shame. But you don't have to the second that you give it to God and repent and turn from it. And then depend upon Him. Man, I mean, if there's one thing I'm learning that is the victory of this Christian life, and this is what I feel like I have got to tell people, is they have got to learn to depend upon Him until they literally can walk in dependence upon Him, meaning knowing how to fully depend upon the Father. Because I could have never made it this long waiting for my finances or waiting for... Laura, or waiting for the ministry fruit, waiting for, you know, some people to stop persecuting me. I could have never made it this long in my own strength. It's, it would be futile. On the contrary, I find the exact principle at work that Paul found, that in my weakness, by God's amazing 
grace. I yield my weakness to Him and it becomes a strength. I become strong, essentially, although it isn't really me that's strong, it's the Spirit of Christ in me that's strong. I mean, I'm getting to see real time, real life through experience exactly what the Word of God says and how it works. And it is true. It is true. And you, in my opinion... You never get to a place, in years I've been doing this now, four years of fighting this battle and really knowing the Lord, I don't see where you would ever get to a place where, you know, you've made it and the temptations are gone and there's no longer any struggles or troubles. I don't think that's ever possible or true. But what I am seeing is that I am sinning far less in my life. It's very rare. It's rare. It's like... You know, once every couple of weeks, I may, you know, if I responded to some something or if I was tired, like responding to my parents or, you know, but there's no ongoing lifestyle sins that I'm practicing that I'm aware of. You know, God certainly may ask me to set some things more down down the road that I have no idea. Like he asked me to set down a certain kind of, you know, music I had been listening to. And for me to go back to that would be a sin because I'd be violating my conscience and disobeying God. And I think I've also been a little lax in memorizing the teachings of Jesus Christ. Even though that's not something dirty, by the fact that I'm not doing it as diligently as He's asked me to, that can become a sin. It's disobedience. So I've had to repent of that and say, Father, I'll make a better effort. I'm getting ready to finish this recording and get back to that. I've been doing that on my trail walk, but I just want particularly my children to know it is a battle, but it does get easier once you're able to fight from a position of freedom and victory. In other words, once you are mastered by the Spirit, as Peter says, whatever masters a man, he's a slave to. So I am now a slave to righteousness and totally dependent upon the Spirit of Christ to teach me, to help me to what have you, what have you, what have you. And he constantly keeps me in check. If there's an issue of pride, if there's an issue of insecurity, if there's an issue of lust, if there's an issue of finances, doubt, trust, whatever it is, he prompts me. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. October 30th, 7.22 a.m., night before Halloween of all things. <laughs> I'm sitting outside thinking about the struggle um, my basically, I, I felt a real sense of attack come through my parents, just the, the father or the the father of lies, trying to offend me as I'm continuing to push in on his kingdom. And so this morning, actually, I got an email. A friend of mine woke up at two o'clock in the morning to pray for me, wanted to know if I was okay. And I said, "Wow, I was under deep attack last night. Thank you for praying." This morning I'm sitting before God's Word and I'm really, really trying to draw a line in the sand without coming across as being judgmental or holier than thou. I'm, I have a growing indignation inside of me, as even the prophet Jeremiah or the psalmist would write. There is, a, there is an indignation in me towards evil. There's an indignation in me towards half-hearted Christianity. There's an indignation to me, in me towards tolerance for allowing people to continue to stay and sinful patterns, patterns of defeat, patterns of deceit, um, shameful 
narcissistic behavior, sin patterns, all that stuff. So first question might be, well, Michael, are you so Mr. Perfect? Are you, do you have it all together? And are you free of any sins? Okay, so this is not an issue of me wanting to throw rocks at somebody, but here is the absolute honest reality is that I am not walking in as a lifestyle any known sin at this point in my life. Have I in the past? Very recently, as early as six months ago, I was still, you know, what I would say, addicted to masturbation. I wouldn't say I was addicted to it. It was something, in other words, I didn't have to do it every single day, but it was something I was doing and I felt that it was okay. This is a personal conviction that I'm not sure if I'll ever publicly share, not because of the shame, but because of the fact that I heard Rusty say yesterday that you know, he doesn't share all of his personal convictions because he doesn't want other people to feel like, hey, well, that, why is that bad for me? Uh, that's not bad for me. He leaves that conviction up to the Holy Spirit. I understand that because even Paul said some things need to be between you and God. So, but having said that, having said that, there's nothing in my life right now that I'm aware of that I'm habitually operating out of. Now, there are those who, when they hear me say this, think that that's me being righteously indignant. No, what I am is I'm weak, and I'm entirely dependent upon and yielded to the Spirit of God to the best of my current ability and to the best of my current knowledge on how to abide in the vine of Jesus Christ. So, I'm not here in my own strength, but I am here, and in the Spirit of Christ in me has no tolerance for People I see whose character, their actions can be characterized by disobedience, by a lack of faith, by anxiety, by worry, by fear, or by sin of any kind. You know, I, my mom has always testified, you can't change a person's character. And she claims to have seen this huge change in my character. Well, that's obvious because God has changed my character. And so I'm like, Lord, bottom line it for me. When did this happen? When did I go from being a guy who was point blank a slave to sin and a slave to righteousness? People say, well, it doesn't happen in a moment because that's sanctification. No, I disagree with that. I disagree with that because I see instances where Jesus says to a person who just had a brief recent encounter with him, say to them, now leave your life of sin. And in another instance, he says, now go and sin no more or else something worse may happen to you. He doesn't say, now go and over the next three years of sanctification, you won't be sinning anymore. You'll sin less and less. I do believe, yes, you sin less and less, but that lifestyle sin, the thing that characterized the person, whatever it is, the fear, the worry, the alcoholism, the sex addiction, the pornography, whatever they, the, the, the thing is that that person is, boy, this person is a, I'm a, whatever you say when you fill in the blank. That is a sin nature, and that is part of your character. It characterizes you. It is part of your makeup. It's something you are known for by yourself. You're known by yourself for that, or you're known by others for that. Okay. That makes you a slave to sin. So, I still have the capacity to sin, and I still do occasionally sin, but I am not known by it. It is out of character for me to do so. It is something that I occasionally stumble in, it is not something I live in. On the contrary, I am completely miserable when I do it. 
if I even say something back to my my mom that's unkind or if I am because I'm tired and she says something and I react a little bit that's unkind, I'm deeply convicted and sorrowful over that. I'm a slave to righteousness. So I sinned, but I'm a slave to righteousness. That is not my character. The character of my walk is that I rep- I ignore those comments every single day. There are comments made. So nine times out of ten, I'm able to ignore and avoid those temptations of responding back in kind, you know, or being offended. Sure enough, if I haven't eaten for a lot of time or if I'm really tired and didn't get much sleep, then sure, on that tenth time, I may stumble into that and then I repent. But it's not my character. It is not my default in my operating system. And that's what I want to help people understand. And I, I'm, I've been begging the Father to help me. So I think one of the things people must come to grips with is they must look at their life and say, is the, is the character of my nature to be in sin? Is this thing that I'm doing, is this part of who I am? Could somebody say, yep, that's just the way you are? Because if that's, if that's what, I think that is absolutely wrong. I think that is a person living in sin. Even if it's just doubt, that's one of the worst sins there is, is to doubt God. We see in the Old Testament that when the Jews doubted God's word, he considered that as wickedness. We only think of wickedness as the guy who's sitting half naked, having just finished up a prostitute with a needle in his arm, taking a shot of heroin in the dark alleys. We say that's wickedness. God's saying, no, if I tell you something and you don't believe it, that's wickedness, doubt, unbelief. So is your life characterized by unbelief? Are you, is, your, is there any part of your life that's characterized? Do you see it? Are you a person who lives in fear or in worry or in doubt? And are you continuing to walk in certain sins, patterns, behaviors, thoughts? You know, those kind of things mean that you are still a slave to sin, not a slave to righteousness. In my opinion, that means you are not saved. In my opinion, that means you are not saved. I feel absolutely certain that Jesus Christ's word in John 8.31 makes it free. Jesus says in John 8.31, to those who had believed him. Okay, so they're already, quote, believers. He says to them, He says, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. All right. So let's say that there takes you a little bit of time. Let's give room here for it takes you a little bit of time to obey, to begin obeying. But if you're not driven to obey, if you're not compelled to obey, I ask, are you really a follower of Jesus? Because he says... If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Jesus says, strive to enter the narrow gate. Everything in me wants to strive to obey. It's like, it ain't me, it's the Spirit of Christ in me. And it's not me that feels indignant. My flesh wants to go have a party. It's the Spirit of Christ in me that is indignant towards lukewarmness, towards being a slave to sin. So having said that, they say to him, but we are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. How then can you say we shall be set free? And he says, anyone who sins. Okay, he goes to the lady and says, 
Now go and sin no more or something worse may happen to you. If she continues in her sin, she is a slave to that sin. Peter says we are a slave. A man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. So you're a slave to whatever's mastered you. If you're a sl- if if your fear has mastered you, you're a slave to it. If your worry has mastered you, you're a slave to it. If your anxiety has mastered you, you're a slave to it. You are not free to serve God when you are living in fear. You're not free to serve God when you're living in sin. And I received an email from a guy recently who has been trapped in pornography forever. Calls himself a Christian, knows the word of the God, knows the word of God upside down in the other. This guy is claiming that there's fruit being produced through him. That there's another man who he had a word for from the Spirit of God. And I say to myself, how could a person who is trapped, I just don't see this, how could a person who is trapped in sin, I don't see any scriptural evidence. The Bible says that this is a man who walks in darkness. This is the blind leading the blind. If a brother hates his brother, he is blind. So if he's in sin, he's blind. So how could he then say that the Spirit of God is producing fruit in him? The Bible says if you don't abide in Jesus Christ, you can do nothing. So how can you abide in Jesus Christ if you're continuing in a sin habit? Jesus said that a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. Not if the Son is setting you free, not when the Son sets you free, meaning, you know, through a process. No, I believe God sets you free in a moment, and then the process of sanctification becomes. Then you, because you're a slave to righteousness now, you begin as the Holy Spirit sanctifies you to set down more and more and more of your life over months, weeks, years. Some people it might be dramatically fast. Some people it might take more time. But they're not a slave to these things. They, they keep falling off of them like leaves as they, as they continue in Christ. He says, okay, now set this down. Okay, now set this down. And you want to set it down. But there's it, it's those are patterns and little quirks and chips off the block. Those are not core fundamental sins that are defining your character. You know, you don't become a follower of Jesus and then three years later get free of of pornography. I do not see any biblical basis for this. I do not see. On the contrary, it says anyone who's in Christ no longer sins. Anyone who continues in sin does not have Christ or God. So how is that possible? Anyone who is in Christ Jesus does no longer walk in darkness. So I don't see how a person can... I don't see how we can biblically say that a person is saved if their life is characterized by being a slave to sin. To me, what the Bible says about that is that that person is not free. They are deceived. Well, but they talk about Jesus. Well, they go to Bible studies. They're sweet. They're kind. They love other people. Well, so does the devil. The Bible says that the devil and his servants masquerade as angels of light. It wouldn't be easy for us to be deceived if they ran around with a pitchfork and horns out of their head and acted like the devil. They don't. They act like angels. So the cults have some of the most sweet, loving, kind people you've ever met in your entire life. You want to meet some of the nicest people you've ever met, go meet true Mormons. 
But inside that shell, there is darkness. Darkness and great deception. Huge deception. So, so anyhow, I just, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out as I observe my own walk. And, and the bottom line for me is I say, okay, God, when did it change for me? When was I no longer a slave to sin? <clears throat> All right, so my big sin has been, in my opinion, so far, pride. And it stems from the insecurity. You know, I can't say, oh, I was a sex addict. I never cheated on my wife. I mean, obviously there was two times when I got close to maybe lusting after another woman when I was early in my marriage that I repented for. But I never had an adulterous affair, never walked in it, avoided it. I was afraid of it. So I think God has been guiding me and and helping me avoid. But I think my biggest sin was that I was not willing to forsake everything for Christ. I was not willing to fully trust him, which is the greatest of all wickedness. People might say, see, now here's something interesting. (laughs) I might say, well, I didn't have porn. I didn't have sex addiction. I didn't do drugs. Mine was worse than that. If I was just numb to God because I'm so busy being doped up, I got a feeling that God probably has more compassion on that person than he does like me, a person who's trying to keep their nose clean sitting in church and yet still doesn't trust God with everything. This is a revelation to me right now that my sin, I've often said, was worse than others. I think I need to teach this. I think I need to teach on this, that my sin was worse than others because my sin was a sin of not trusting God. And doubt is some of the biggest wickedness that we can see, especially from a person who claims to know better. Now, if I was not a, quote, you know, learner, or if somebody in the church, then, you know, I don't know, I'm not convicted of my sin yet. But once I'm in the church, I am now saying to myself, I want to try to play church, but I want to go live my life for me. I think that's another level of wickedness that God must absolutely detest. I think He absolutely detests it. So, what happened is, I got to a place where I, by God's mercy, I began to become sick of that. I began to, God began to show me the fruitlessness of that walk. And I began to question it. Again, not by something I did, but God just allowed my circumstances because He had mercy on me to come to this place. So that's one way I need to make sure I I remember not to judge people. That does not free me from the need to warn people or to bring this to light. So then... When it really happened was in October of 2009 when I fully surrendered and I repented for having withheld my life and my things and my trust from God. And I began that day, October 2009, is when I really began walking with Jesus Christ and I can say that my salvation was secure. Again, if I hold on to it, I still believe I could lose my salvation. I absolutely believe that if I were to willfully turn from God that I could lose my salvation, but I also believe that as long as I abide in Him, nothing, not an angel, nor death, nor principalities, nor anything can separate me from God. If I abide in Him, I believe He has me. But I do believe I could take myself out. I could say, you know, I'm not into this anymore. I'm just going to quit. It's too hard. I'm going to give up. I'm going to go the way to the easy route. So if I don't fight in His strength, by His Spirit, I could easily just fall back and and be unrecoverable. I totally believe that is scriptural. All right, now having said that, the question becomes, well, how should a person respond to this message? And my thoughts are, 
If you have not completely surrendered and you have not given up everything, you cannot be worthy of Christ. So let's not call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ unless we've given up everything. If we're still being driven by fear, characterized by a sin of a slave to, to, to sin, let's not pretend. Let's be like Paul says in the spiritual man judging everything and let's call sin, sin. Let's call darkness, darkness. Let's call rebellion, rebellion. Let's call distrust, you know, unbelief. And let's repent and say, God, that's it. And let's not be afraid to surrender everything to God. Because what He can put back in our hands, even though we may lose, what He puts back in our hands is far better than anything we could have ever held with a death grip in our hands and in the meantime miss out on God and miss out on salvation.